Right, ladies and gentlemen from class of 69. <laughs> If I could offer you one tip for the future. Don't wear sunscreen. Unless it's a good organic brand. and without chemicals and then you do want. All right, so as we could see that the key component... Ah, hey. Oh, what's up, guys? Move forward. People talking business. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another super great episode of our podcast, Forward, which brings ideas and thoughts to take your business self and team forward. And of course, we have here today, like every time, our one and only guest, Yuval Megid. Shaked, we must talk about it. It becomes embarrassing. You do know I'm <laughs> here every week, right? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> But great to be here. Thank you. So, Yuval, do you know... What's the number one reason for employee turnover? Well, I'll give you a hint to what it's not related, and that's salary. Ooh, interesting. So we're going to talk about why does losing an employee cost so much, and in what other ways do high turnover rates impact our company? And we're really going to focus in a few main things. First of all, we'll talk and discuss turnover costs. We'll give examples from different industries and also a calculator when you can calculate your turnover rate and why it costs so much. Then we'll discuss why do employees leave, which is a very important topic, and how it impacts the company and the organization overall. Also, we will give you actual ways to keep strong employees and increase retention, especially by focusing on the operational side of things. And we will also discuss specifically on scheduling and how that can be a key factor to drive higher retention rate and stronger employees' talents that will stick for longer. You ready to start? I'm always ready. All right. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit of numbers, Shaked. I have here a chart drafted by the Center of American Progress, which basically looks at the cost of replacing employees. Beyond the fact that it just says that it's a very high number, and we'll talk about that in a second, there's a very interesting take here, which means the cost of turnover is remarkably consistent across jobs in different pay levels, mm -hmm. except the very highest paid jobs. So if we're talking for a second frontline employees, we'll usually look at, let's say, pay level of below 50K a year, 30K a year. Those would usually be the benchmarks. And for those numbers, we're seeing a turnover of between 60.1% to 19.7%. I'll say that again, almost 20% or up to 20% in frontline employees industries are replaced on a yearly basis. That's Which is a lot. Crazy numbers. Crazy, crazy numbers. Thinks you hired someone, there is a 20% likelihood is not going to finish the year. That's crazy. And I guess in most cases, it happens in the first couple of months. Yeah. And I think that's also very, very dependent on the industry, which kind of leads us to the next chart, right? So different industries see different benchmarks. By the way, if you run a business, it's very good for you to know what the benchmark for your industry is. So you'll know if your business is doing well or not, because that's one of your key health indicators, meaning if your turnover is good, Most likely your business economics would be good. Most likely your business would be successful. However, if you're below the benchmark, you know you need to better invest in it. So you'll reduce your turnover, reduce your cost and increase your business health and likelihood of success. And just to clarify, the numbers that we talked about 
before are covered all industries. But in specific industries, it's more significant. So all the frontline workforce industries, they have the highest rates of turnover. We're talking about retail and hospitality, healthcare and social assistance, transportation, construction, manufacturing, and so on and so on. These are the ones that suffer most from high employee turnover. And of course, with recent events in the last years, those numbers only grew. We know it. We know it from COVID. We know it from inflation. We've seen how it's becoming from a market of employers into a market of employees. We actually talked about that in our previous episode. But even today, even before COVID, we intentionally took those statistics from before the days of COVID just to kind of keep that benchmark alive so we'll know that we're outside of the scope of COVID itself. Yeah, actually, these are the numbers from 2016 until today. So if we take, for example, the healthcare industry. From the National Healthcare Retention and Registered Nurse Staffing Report, the official one, they found that of the healthcare systems that were surveyed, the average hospital turned over a staggering 90.8% of its workforce since 2016. Think about that for a moment. That's crazy numbers. Crazy how? In the sense that every five years, your entire hospital team changes. Every five years, the entire team changes. Okay, so that's really, really crazy number. And think about this being the average. So naturally, you have better places with 75%, but you also have people that would probably in four years would replace their entire team. And by the way, this costs to each hospital millions of dollars yearly. And if we take restaurants, for example, so we can see from the National Restaurant Association that the estimate of the average restaurant loses 150000 dollars yearly in staff turnover. Just that. That's insane. Any thoughts about that? Yeah, I think, you know, just like we said before, when you look at the details and not just think about the statistics, you know, when you put that figure, 150000 that's such a high cost for a business. So if you're a business that retains your employees better, naturally that reflects on your entire business economics. But let's break that down, right? Because we like to think about turnover at that high level term. But if you bring it down to the details, you can see that it's comprised from a lot of different things. It comprises of recruiting costs, right? You need to pay the recruiters, you need to find the people, you need to spend the time on finding the people. It's comprised of pre-departure costs. There are all kinds of processes you need to do when an employee leaves the company. Orientation and recruiting costs, onboarding costs, loss of productivity. So when you think about turnover, it's not just the cost of hiring that person, but it's everything that goes around it. From the moment you located them, the time you spend on bringing them in, the time of onboarding them, sometimes there's all kind of equipment that goes with that, until they become fully professional. And also when they leave, there are costs associated with that. So it's an all-around cost that comes down to very, very, very high numbers. Well said. And by the way, if you're listening and you're managing a business or you're the finance manager or the business owner, there's a tool to calculate the costs of turnover in your organization. And that combines from the average yearly salary of an employee, how many employees you lose in a single year, or how many employees you lost last year, and the weeks to fill in this position. So let's take an example. If we talked about the frontline employees, so the average salary, let's say, would be, let's take the minimum, $30,000 a year. And let's say that you lose a year according to the data that we see if you're, I don't know, a 50-employee business, let's say 10 employees, and the weeks to fill this position, it's eight weeks, two months, until you hire people and train them and onboard them and they can do the job. So only by that, by these very low numbers, a business loses 140 
$100K a year on 10 employees of $30,000 salary that takes two months to train them. That's insane. That's $14,000 per each employee that left you. Each single employee that leaves, every time someone leaves you, you should think about it as $14,000 a year that you're losing on that singular employee. Now multiply that by the amount of employees and you get very high numbers. Basically, it's half of their salary. So after we talked a little bit about numbers, let's talk on the actual reasons of why do they leave. So I have in front of me charts from McKinsey. The top five reasons the U.S. frontline employees would leave their job in the next three to six months would be due to, you gave a hint already. It's not salary. It's not salary. <laughs> the number one reason in most cases would be flexibility. And we're talking about flexibility. We're talking about unpredictable schedules and hours and availability, inflexible start and stop times, lack of control over how work gets done, and things in this nature. Let's think about it for a moment. If we're talking about this audience, right, frontline employees, at the end, they are working, you know, different types of hours, different types of shifts. If you think about their day-to-day, -day, part of them are students, part of them are doing more than a single job, part of them, you know, they're part-time parents. So there are a lot of different aspects, but one of the things that they really need is that flexibility. On the one hand, the flexibility. On the other hand, the ability to generate enough revenue, right? If you can only give them one shift, that might not be as compelling for them as a business that can generate those three shifts a week that they need. So the ability to work flexibly around their own schedule, the more you can give it to them, the more compelling you become as a, an employer, as a business. Exactly. And I think that's also the reason that we're seeing this new trend of gig workers, because they don't have this flexibility at their current uh, workspace. They say, okay, I'll just be a freelance, I'll do a gig job, I'll be a third party of someone else, and I will be in charge of my own schedule. So unless you provide that, you're going to still see high turnover rates. By the way, I think it's also interesting to touch on another core reason, which is not as significant, especially on that McKinsey research that we're seeing right here in front of us, which is a little bit on the development side of the employee. Again, think about the character that works with you. No one wants to remain in the same position forever. So the ability to excel, the ability to move forward. And naturally, that's not for all employees, right? Some employees, they just do the quiet quitting type of thing. But let's assume for a second that a person does want to be good at what they do. Usually, they would like to be able to progress. It doesn't have to be immediate. It doesn't have to be a very big jump. But they want to see some kind of, let's call it, progress. And think about yourself. You always, you have dreams of where you want to be or inspirations of where you want to get to and that's very similar for our employees now it's enough that they have you know the knowledge that that is a possibility that they can grow and that you're thinking about that and that could be a key driver for retention or the other way around if you absolutely know that this is a deadlock there is no way i can get to then that's a very big turnoff let's put it that way couldn't agree more and i even think that everybody wants to sing you just need to give them the stage it doesn't matter if you're working at mcdonald's or a coffee shop or whatever a retail shop usually you think it's just like a skilled kind of work and you can't progress but you do need to give them the ability to think forward either it's to be a shift manager to train people to shadow other people just to show them that you care and give them the opportunity and i, I think also the rule of thumb for the business owners out there, the managers, if you see that people, they leave your company after three to six months, that's a sign that you need to change things. Absolutely. All right. So now let's talk about the actual impact, the direct and indirect of employee turnover. Okay. So not only the cost, but let's break it down to 
couple of things. You want to start? Yeah, of course. So I think that by the nature of things, when an employee leaves, beyond the fact that it impacts the team, right? Especially if it was a dominant employee, let's call it. So beyond the negative sociological effects that you may have on your environment, you also take a lot of knowledge with you, Mm -hmm. a lot of skills, a lot of capabilities, a lot of know-how. So those are definitely things that are very, very impactful. You have direct cost of attention because when you leave, someone else needs to get that job done or someone needs to qualify someone else to that job. So there is a bandwidth cost right there. Someone needs to get the job done and someone needs to qualify someone else to be able to do that job. So that's another indirect cost that you've got. And if you think about it also, when someone leaves, if you have like a chain, right, the link chain, so you get one link off the chain and then... It harms the company even further because let's say that you have this strong employee, a good talent, and now they leave. So you need to find someone else to invest their time to train another person, a new person. And the time that they're trained someone else just breaks your organization routine. Mm -hmm. You had a routine, everything was in place, and now it's tearing apart time after time meaning you're stuck in the same place. And, you know, if you're a small business, that every person matters. So even if it's, a, let's say you're a 10 people business and one of those employees leaves, it may hurt your availability. You may not have someone to cover that shift in the next few days, which is direct loss of revenue from the business. You know, you couldn't open it at 8 a.m. or 7 a.m. like you wanted to. Or you, as the operator, as the business owner of that facility, you had to cover that shift, which means you were not doing what you needed to do on the planning side or on the customer uh, on bringing customers to the store etc etc so not having the capacity you need to operate by itself carries a very very high cost with it i have a question to you you are the chief operations officer at connecting right Mm -hmm. so you probably know directly the impact of employee turnover can you tell from your experience how does it impact your company yeah of course and that actually also connects me to the reasons why employees are leaving and you wouldn't find that in the mckinsey report because it's not dry information such as you know salary or career path or anything else when people think about companies especially as you grow and that's also true when you're small it's just when you're small it's a one manager team usually or two manager team they don't leave the company they leave the manager If they like the company, it's not the company that they like. They like the manager. Obviously, they associate themselves with a lot of things from the brand to the day-to-day environment and everything else. But the number one thing that really impacts employees' decision whether to stay or go is a manager. And that's why we like to say at home, at home being connecting, that you know if a manager is good when they leave a company, if others follow them. If you get to the point when a manager leaves and uh, a few members of the team choose to live with them, you know they were a really, really good manager. And you probably screwed up (laughs) when that happened. So I think one of the key reasons for people leaving is if high-quality people, especially people that are senior to them, are leaving the company. And to your question on how we experience it and what the cost is, I can tell you that we absolutely experience it. We invest heavily in our team, in our employees, in our managers to make sure we can drive turnover as low as we can. Naturally, we still see some turnover. And when we see that turnover, we see the cost of training those people. We see the cost of not having the adequate bandwidth in specific places. We see what that means for us as a business. Usually it means compromises, right? Compromise could be I'm not meeting with as many customers as I would have wanted to. And compromises could be okay, I need one person to be responsible for more than a single area right now, which means they're going to do 
part-time job in both places and not going to get the same results as we want them. So 100%, you know, we experienced that as firsthand. And I don't think any business is prone to the impact of an employee leaving the company. I would like to challenge that a bit, but before, let's just break down the actual impact of a company. So first of all, like you said, it disrupts the company's routine that already is in place. It generates direct turnover costs that we talked about, recruitment, training, and so on. Of course, it generates also the indirect costs because it creates operational disruptions after a vital employee leaves. So the employee might be either very knowledgeable about very specific aspects or serve as an important link. And lastly, like we said, it creates a demoralization of the employees remaining at the company due to the loss of a popular colleague or what we like to call a talent. Now, I do want to say that not all employees were born the same. And that's very important for me as a business owner or as a senior manager in a business to understand that. When you see an employee who's a talent, who's managerial potential, who's already a good manager, we really want to hold on to those employees because they make the difference. You want to ask me what really impacts turnover at the end of the day? It's people. It's a lot of other things around that. We're going to touch more on that today. But you have the right person in the right position. They can really help you retain your team in the right way. I agree. It's always about the people, but I also think it's about the systems and tools as well. I think that it's important to talk about the ways to actually prevent high turnover rates and how operations, in my opinion, can be a key factor to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're talking about the employees and I think the HR side of things, but I kind of think that before we talk about HR serving employees and all these important things, we saw that one of the most critical things to high employee turnover is flexible schedule, right? Yeah, okay, 100%. So that means that before you provide me with the tools and before you build a streamlined business and organization and you actually help me to improve my productivity, I think that the rest, it just doesn't matter. I definitely agree that a very strong methodological process, usually or highly likely, especially in frontline industries, backed by the right technology, is a key for creating a proper employee experience. And by the way, when you think about turnover, there's something that are, are in your control, something that are out of your control, and something that are in between. If I'm looking at technologies, tool methodologies, especially around scheduling, flexibility, etc., this is the number one thing that I think you can control as a business owner. So maybe you can't control exactly who shows up for your interviews. You can do better, but you don't have full control on who the employees are going to be. That thing is completely under your control. You can bring the right tools. You can put the methodologies in place. You can make things more structured. You can make things more flexible, but you need to find the right technology, the right methodology that will help you achieve it. I would like to quote a very strong sentence by the Society for Human Resource Management. They say, and I super agree, that a company's culture isn't just what it says about itself, it's what it does. And that really brings me to talk about the tools for the day-to-day before we talk about all the soft skills or soft talks or one-on-ones and all that. I think that the day-to-day work processes are the key factor to actually drive higher retention rates in a company. I actually want to second that, and it's a very similar sentence, so I can guess where the inspiration came from. But there is a book that's called What You Do Is Who You Are by Ben Horowitz. 
which basically just explores cultures. It starts with, you know, cultures in Haiti and Mongolia and goes all the way to cultures of organizations. And the name of the book is the bottom line of the book. What you do is who you are. And it doesn't matter if it's a culture of society or a culture of company. At the end, if you really want to understand culture, look at the actions of the individuals, not the articles on the wall, not what we say in high corridors, but what actually takes place. And I think that from that standpoint, and especially if we're talking about turnover and we're talking about crafting that culture, actions, infrastructure, methodologies, tools help us create who we want to be. Spot on. And I think that the key component for high turnover, the number one reason was flexibility in scheduling at work. Let's really try to break down this scheduling thing. So with efficiency or flexibility around work being one of the key factors for turnover, let's zoom in on that scheduling piece, especially now before the holidays when we know we're going to have much more difficult time scheduling. Yeah. By the way, it's amazing, but I've never met a person that actually likes doing scheduling, right? It's always a nightmare. I like doing scheduling. I don't believe you. <laughs> but scheduling, even though we don't like doing it, it's a very significant element in our business and it's very very tightly related to the operations and hence to our team we know that when you're doing scheduling efficiently you are that much more productive you have much happier workers and you're basically saving big big dollars okay depending on the size of your business doing scheduling right is the key for doing the operations in most of frontline businesses. I agree. And by the way, there's also a very good article that the Entrepreneur Media Magazine just released about scheduling, especially when entering to the holiday season. And I saw something very astonishing that in 2017, Ryanair canceled 20,000 flights due to roster issues, due to scheduling issues. That's insane. And of course... That not, has to be in the millions of dollars, if not insane. tens of millions I mean, of dollars. If, if 20,000 flights? That's if, crazy. If you're not such a big company, you would never recover from a mistake in scheduling, right? I'm surprised they even recovered. But yeah, 100%. Like scheduling is key. You can't go without it. You have to nail it. And if you're better at scheduling, you're better than the competition. So let's try to break it down. Why scheduling is key. And if now I'm one of the business owners that are listening to our podcast or a manager that's in charge of operations, what should we focus on in order to make this process better? So they can take some actionable items back home and try to implement it in the organizations. So I think when we look at the scheduling, we should think about it as a process. You first have the demand side of what you actually need to be doing. Now, depending on your business, your demand may be dynamic, right? You may get more requests for things as you go or you know in advance what's going on. But in either case, you need to gather the demand. Once you have the demand, you need to have your building blocks, which is basically understanding what can go where. Sometimes it's more complex. You may need to take qualifications into consideration. Sometimes it's more simple. It's just putting a person on the block. But you need to understand what the tools that you have, meaning you need the team's availability and you need the relevant restrictions in order to do that scheduling. Now you can go, you have the, let's call it all the components to start crafting what you want to do. But it doesn't end there. People think about scheduling as a process of building scheduling. Sure. But doing really good scheduling doesn't end with the planning process or even the crafting process. It ends only after the actual shifts took place and took place in the right way with all the you know bits and bytes and surprises that happened along the way. Okay, so everything you say really leads me to simplicity. And before we do those things, I think that we need to choose a proper software to handle this scheduling. Doesn't matter, by the way, if you're uh, 10 company size employees or you have 300 employees and so on, you need to have a software 
to take care of this scheduling load and to have it accessible and easy to use for everybody. I completely agree. I think that people that are still doing scheduling on either pen and paper or Excel are doing it wrong. I understand why they're doing it, usually because they're very, very used to it. But if you're thinking about the process of seeing all those different things, all those different, you know, possibilities, and then how you distribute that in the right way and also keep people notified about things, you usually want to use a platform better if it's a mobile first platform for frontline employees, obviously, so they can get notified in real time. They can respond to different things that are happening. Because again, scheduling is not just about laying the blocks on the canvas. It's about making sure that things things tick and that people know where they should be and that people respond and that they get the maximum flexibility that they can and you as an employer get the maximum flexibility and maximum results while doing the scheduling. And I think also when you have that in place, that's a good place to really involve your staff in the scheduling process. Beyond enabling workers to request shifts, include them and ask what they value most in their schedule. So we talked about this flexibility. That's your way to really foster that. So for example, do they like weekly or daily or monthly schedules? So you need to find that out and to give them the tools to provide it to you in the most handiest way. So for example, a parent with two children might prefer to work during the day, obviously, because their children are at school. And maybe a single student may be more flexible or prefer to work night hours. Yeah, for sure. And I think in general, it's a lot of about understanding you know their preferences their availability and the more you can accommodate it the better now usually the ability to accommodate those flexibilities starts and ends with the tool you're using because your needs are usually quite strong right if you need those two people in the shift you need those two people in the shift but maybe you can split that shift into two and let two different people take it or maybe you can let people choose when they work or find a replacement or maybe you can let them report their availability in advance those are small things that mean a lot to people that want to find the job or if i need the extra buck or if i need the last minute shift or if i want to cancel last minute it's all things that create that flexible environment for me and make it a more competitive business for me as an employee. Before we'll talk about this component for the employee, I want also to talk about the manager's perspective, okay? So Christmas is around the corner. Let's say that the managers out there, business owners, they want to gift themselves with a brand new scheduling software, which I highly recommend. What's in it for the managers? So I think the number one person to benefit from it at the end is the manager. Think about what it means doing scheduling. You basically chase people to understand who's available when, And then you're trying to correlate all those different things. And if you're doing it with Excel or if you're doing it with a pen and paper, it's very difficult to see all the complexities. Now, naturally, scheduling five people is easier than scheduling 50 or 500, but the mechanism remains the same. You want a software that makes it take less time. You want a software that protects you, kind of flags out all the important things. Ideally, something that is visually easy and compelling because you'll be uh, it will be easier for you to relate. You want something that is easy to distribute and not just one time, but a live update. You change something, your user is notified. Sometimes you even want to get confirmation. So you want a flexible tool that is suitable for your business needs that will save you a lot of time, will give you much better control, and not just on the planning side, but also on the distribution side of the information and on the ongoing basis of dealing with unplanned events. So let's stand on the differences between an Excel spreadsheet, kind of schedule planning, or one of these softwares. Let's try to really emphasize what will be the differences because you can do pretty much the same things at the end of the day, color code the different shifts, plan out and make templates and so on. But how does it really make my life easier as a manager? So first, templates are usually familiar to the person working with them. And let's say you switch someone, that's very hard to go into the shoes of the other person. But let's put that aside and look 
look at our day-to-day. Templates are good for the Excel in general. It's good for the planning phase, which is kind of to try and fill the blocks. But one, when you're starting to, you know, put the people on the shifts, changing all the different things, understanding who you already put there and who you didn't, becomes much more complex. Flagging out, you know, the overlapping things or the mistakes, very difficult. If you're Excel genius, maybe you can get there. If you're not, probably going to be more difficult. But most importantly, Excel stops at the planning phase. What about communicating it to your team? What about if something changes and you want them to be there? What about if you need to understand who's available now and how you can, you know, find that person last minute? So everything that is related around the operational functions of scheduling, you don't get from Excel. Excel helps you with the planning phase. By the way, very a lot of times it's organize your mind around how you want to do your scheduling because that's what you're used to. But still, I would recommend translating that into a software that really meets your needs. And then you'll save a lot of time. You'll get much more automations, much more flags, and most importantly, a streamlined of information to your team. They'll be up to date. They can open their app, check what their schedule is. They'll be notified about those changes that we talked about. They'll be able to report that availability. You don't need to capture it in advance and then put it all in Excel and kind of correlate it in your head. So all those things can really be managed on a much more efficient and quick basis with the right software. I totally agree. And I think when you're using Excel, it's like you're being the developer. And you don't want to be the developer. You just want to use a proper tool. And I think one of the core components there, like you said, is the ability also to be constantly connected to the employees, to remind workers if they're late or refuse to get a shift, to see if their visibility, so they get a visibility for the shifts that are available to claim in real time. If there's any change, they know it right now and not after a couple of hours when you finally change it on the Excel and send it to them. And also you can get connected upon their approvals, preferences, and everything. So I think that just really makes a proper transparency and flexibility around the schedule and also giving them the autonomy to swap shifts, to be on top of what they need to do next week in a month ahead. And that's how it can really solve these issues that we talked about earlier of flexibility at work. Yeah, 100%. All right, now let's take the employee's perspective. How does it really affect the employee happiness, engagement that we talked about earlier and can really help prevent this high turnover problem that we're facing today? So once again, putting myself in the shoes of our frontline employees, I want to be able to claim shifts. I want to know when I'm working. I want to find the right amount of shifts for me. Sometimes it may be a lot of shifts. Sometimes it may be not as much shifts. So I don't want to talk to you 10 times over phone and over text messages about when I'm available and when I'm not. I want to be able to easily reflect that and that you'll know everything as step one. And also to request shift. We talked about flexibility. Give me the ability to request when I prefer to work. Yeah, so I can give you, you're right. It's not just when I'm available or not available. Sometimes it's also where I prefer to work. But that really depends on the way you work. It's better for you to allow your employees to report their preferences and not just when they're available or not, because then they would feel more satisfied. On top of that, there is the streaming of information, just like we talked before. People are tired of getting their schedule over text messages, are tired of getting screenshots of images, are tired of getting things that have changed and they're not aware of. They want something that is dynamic and up to date, and they want it on their phone where it's easy to see and that they can respond to it. Because maybe I confirmed the shift for this Thursday, but now something came up and I need to find that replacement. And again, I don't want to call you five times. I don't feel comfortable bothering you as my manager. I just want to do a simple action that tells you 
I need a replacement for that shift. And then I can find it on my own, or you can find it for me, or you can confirm it, whatever is the best process for us as a business. But the bottom line is it becomes easy. It becomes simple and it gives me and the employee the flexibility, the understanding, and all the relevant information I need for that upcoming shift without being dependent on you as the manager and without all those back and forth emails, texts, WhatsApps, whatever. And also that reminds me that maybe something very important to keep in mind is to focus also on overtime. And that's not only when we're talking about the payroll phase, it starts with planning out the schedule. hundred percent. I actually can't believe I forgot it when you asked me about Excel and other software or about the employee perspective. As businesses, we want to avoid overtime as much as we can just because it's a high driver for cost sometimes we don't have the choice but smart planning can save us money through reducing overtime you can see in advance when you're going to reach overtime and you can plan better in advance to avoid getting into that those overtime hours so also in this article of the entrepreneur media that I found they described that in July 2018 a Canadian study discovered that women who worked overtime had an increased risk of diabetes meaning that the When you exhaust your employees and let them work over time, you will lose them if we, I want to connect to what we talked earlier about the turnover. And it's really when we're talking about overtime, it's the ability to maybe let them work extra, but then you need to pay them accordingly, but also to be able to prevent that in first place, to see that they're not working too much. And thankfully, there's also restrictions today and regulations around that, not to exhaust the employees and they won't get uh, diabetes. What do you think about that? We don't always like the regulations, but if we're talking about turnover and we're talking about burnout, overtime is maybe one of the most significant factors. And it's true that in the short term, employees love overtime. They want to do overtime because they want to get paid more. And that's okay. And every now and then that's possible. But if you have an employee or a few employees that will do too much of an overtime, they won't be able to do it for a long period of time. They'll suffer for it. And more than that, their level of service, depending on the type of work they're doing, will decrease. We know that when we're working too much over a consistent basis of time, our quality of service, our quality of thinking, our quality of pretty much everything we do decreases and health implications on us. There's this study from Sunshine Health that kind of summarizes a lot of studies. The bottom line is they show that when you work overtime on a regular basis, it may have increased body max index and injuries, I guess. Not necessarily injuries, but increased alcohol consumption, mm. in some cases related to diabetes. Oh, wow. So a lot of negative impacts on our body. And while the employee may want to do that on the short term, on the long term, it's a very bad decision. And it will show in everything they do at the quality of work, at their day-to-day. I think it's much a form of a burnout, right? Because think about this barista, think about this electrician, construction worker. They work. work all day they're standing all day they're interacting with customers they're lifting things if you do it over time each and every day or more than you should of course it if you do over time over time then <laughs> nice. yeah you're 100 right so what did we have today shaked so in this episode the thing that we really broke down one of the most important things for every organization the costs of turnover so we talked about that it doesn't matter if you're a small medium large company you should plan ahead and implement the right systems to prevent those massive costs that can be the difference actually from your business to succeed or fail 100% at the end of the day you're a business owner you're so occupied with day-to-day things sometimes you can overlook the real cost of turnover you're just thinking it in implicit terms 
And the number one cause of turnover is around people's flexibility. So starting with scheduling, making sure your scheduling mechanisms are right, you have the right software in place, it's probably the easiest and most structured way to reducing turnover. And I think my message from this episode to you, the listeners, is really to retain strong employees by investing from day one in systems to help you streamline the work processes and foster more flexibility and the ability to plan ahead their life. So folks, to sum it up, Chaked found us a really, really nice quote from one of our favorite leaders, Steve Jobs. You cannot mandate productivity. You must provide the tools to let people become their best. That's it. Mic drop. Don't say anything else.